all can take a seat. Woo! This is pretty sweet. Y'all gotta look back. I don't know if you've seen the balcony yet, but there's people up there, and it's amazing. All right, real quick before we get started, can we just give it up for the worship team? They work so hard, and they're so good at the singing, you know? Amazing. All right. Guys, welcome to Salt Company. We are so excited that you are here. Also, new spot. Amazing. Look at the paint job. Wow. Uh, first thing I noticed was the pillars outside. I mean, we're in Athens, you know what I mean? Basically, minus the negative 20 degree weather, so that probably doesn't happen. But uh, second thing I noticed was all the chairs are uniform in color, which for us is pretty exciting. Like, I don't know, our old chairs used to have splotches and patches everywhere, so that was tough. But the third thing I was most excited about to come to Vertical and something that we've been praising Jesus about is bathroom access. Y'all, if you guys were at City Life, you knew so hard. You'd have to get in front of everyone to go to the bathroom. Not fun. You don't want anyone to watch you doing that. Anyways, that was tough. So we're excited to be here, guys. We're so thankful that we get to use this space. And if you're new here to Salt Company, just want to welcome you in tonight. We're going to kick off our semester doing what we do every single Thursday. We're going to worship Jesus in song, and we're going to worship Jesus through the teaching of his word. And we'll be back here at 8 p.m. every Thursday for the rest of the semester. So I just want to say thanks for being here. And a specific thanks if you're here and you're not exactly sure what you believe yet. I actually think that's a sweet moment that we get to share together and a conversation that I'm hoping actually draws some more questions out of you. And um, I think the reason why I want to thank you for that is because stepping into a space like this can be really, really scary. And I remember when I was 13, I sat both my parents down. I was a rebellious child. And I was like, Mom and Dad, I don't believe that Jesus is real. And I think religion is a man-made construct used to oppress people. And it wasn't until later on in my life that I stepped back into a space like this. And honestly, I was really, really afraid because I thought that having questions was a bad thing. But I just want to encourage you, if that's where you're at tonight, if you're walking in here and you're not even really sure why you're here, this is all kind of weird to you, that last song, you're like, hey, great song, kind of weird. I don't know. You're like, this guy's starting off really poorly. You know, that's probably what you're thinking. Tough. Anyways, um, if that's where you're at, you know. I just want to say welcome home, that we'd love to answer any of the questions that you have. And when Jesus met me, he began to answer those questions that I had in himself. And so that's the opportunity we have tonight. So here's my ask for all of us. All of us have had probably a tougher winter break than we would have liked to have. All of us are coming in with preconceived notions about what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he thinks of us and maybe what we think of him. But here's my ask for you. Would you actually let John 5 inform the way you view Jesus tonight? I know it's hard, but we really do believe that the word of God has something to say about your life today. 2,000 years later, we can open up John 5 and see the character, cadence, and compassion of Jesus. And my prayer is that would begin a conversation in your heart with Christ about what it means to follow him. So if you have your Bible, I would love if you would open up to John chapter 5. It's like 70% of your way through your Bible, the fourth gospel count. I know that's confusing. If you have questions about that, will be up here. So feel free to ask any questions after the service. As you open there, let me pray that the word of God would speak to us tonight. Jesus, I still remember that Wednesday night that you met me. And it changed me. And I was afraid and I was confused and I didn't know what it looked like to follow you. I didn't have all the right theology. I didn't know all the right things to do or what was Christian and what wasn't Christian, but I do remember that you became beautiful to me that night. 
that something clicked where you weren't a person in the past 2,000 years ago who lived as a carpenter and died a gruesome death, but you became the Lord over my life. You became the most beautiful thing that I could ever see. And I remember reading this text shortly after. The first book of the Bible I'd ever read was John, and I remember getting to this text and thinking to myself, this isn't the Jesus that I once thought was real, but you were so much better, and you were so much more beautiful than I could have ever imagined. And Jesus, would you become beautiful in all of our eyes tonight, not Salt Company, not Vertical Church, not any of our staff, not Leo, not any of the worship team, but Jesus, would you become beautiful to us tonight, and would our hearts be stirred to know you more? Amen. Amen. All right. I want to start like this, okay? Have you ever been told the saying that time heals all wounds? All right? This is normally a saying that you get after you tell something, someone, someone something. Wow, that, that was tough, I'll be honest. Let me restart. It's like, wow, that took me so long to get why that was wrong, but it sounded wrong in my mind. You know what I'm saying? Okay, anyways. So this is usually the saying that you get when you tell someone something that has been really, really difficult. And then they look at you blankly for like five to six seconds, and then they slap this one on you. Time heals all wounds, okay? Which part of that is true. Like time actually does heal some wounds. One of the wounds that I was thinking about recently is um, I, t- I stubbed my toe the other day, and I didn't have no shoes or socks, which that's bare, you know? And it was like a corner, and I was like, wow, I had to take a moment. This is so painful. And after like five to six hours, I was fine. You know what I mean? Like that wound was healed, okay? Other petty wounds, uh, Juliana and I were sitting right here for the ping pong table, and she was telling me about my wife, and she was like, Josie's so kind and lovely and gentle and intentional. And then she hits me with, and that was so surprising to me. And I was like, yeah, what do you mean? (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, totally, yeah, Um, why was that surprising? She's like, you know, you're just like a big personality. AKA, I don't like your personality. I was like, come on. Anyways, give me a couple years and that wound will heal. Time can heal some wounds. Just exposed Juliana right now. I'm so sorry. She's actually on staff. She's great. Anyway, so we love Juliana. Time can heal some wounds. But what about the wounds that time actually can't heal? And that's the topic of conversation for all of us tonight. Is what about the wounds... That time has passed, but they still impact you every single day. The kind of wounds that actually don't just get to the surface of your skin, but dig a lot deeper into the crevices of your soul, and the type of wounds that not only hurt you, but begin to shape you, and maybe not just shape who you are and who you've become, but shape the way that you view life, love, relationships, and maybe even God. And the reality is there's way too many of you guys here for me to know every individual story, but I do know that all of us in this room have walked into Salt Company tonight with wounds that time has not healed. And I've just been praying over this and asking the Spirit what it means to encounter that, that type of wound. And I don't know your story, but maybe you're here and you've had a past relationship in your life where someone left you without really giving you answers. And so because of that, you walk through life keeping people at an arm's length distance because you're afraid that if you were to actually trust someone again, they would do the same to you. 
Or maybe you're here and the wounds that you carry into this room are parental wounds. And this is my story. I think this is going to be uncomfortable for some of you guys, but I've been in therapy for the last six months, and it's actually been really beautiful. But one of the things that I've been learning is that the scarring that I have from my relationship with my father doesn't just end at when I was eight years old, but it continues to this day. And so that's the wound that I'm carrying in tonight, that time has not yet healed. And I think for a lot of us in this room, maybe you're here and you've forgotten what it feels like to have a healthy mind. That as you think back to your relationship with mental health, you can't actually remember a day that wasn't filled with fear and anxiety and sadness. And so you're here and you're asking yourself the question, is this life worth living when it's so hard to just fight my own mind? I think all of us are here working in with, walking in with wounds that time has not yet healed. And in John chapter 5, what we're going to see is a story of a man who lived for 38 years as a paralyzed man, a wound that was so deep and a sickness so hard that it was unable to be healed by time. And then he encounters Jesus. And the question that, that, question that Jesus asked that man is, do you want to be healed? And that question that he asked 2,000 years ago is the question I'm hoping to ask you tonight, is do you want to be healed? Turn with me to John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Okay, so here's what's happening in this story. I want to give you some context so that as, as Jesus encounters this man, you understand the kind of the backbones of this conversation. This man had been paralyzed for 38 years. Now, this wasn't modern-day Minnesota or Minneapolis or St. Paul. This was back in the first century. So I want to take you back there and describe to you the type of life that this man would have lived. He would have been laying on a straw mat where some days he would have a friend to pick him up and move him to a different location to go to the bathroom, but some days he wouldn't, which means likely this mat had years upon years of entrenched excrement. And this man would lay there 24 hours a day, 365 days a year with no hope of healing. And not only was he by himself, but he was actually in this place that was a real geographical place called the Pool of Bethesda, surrounded by other people with a similar condition as him. He was surrounded by the anguish and pain and brokenness of, of hurt. And in that moment, he would have been surrounded by people who had a similar brokenness but it wasn't just the physical pain that was difficult for this man. It was actually the spiritual shame that was put on him by the religious leaders of that day. And here was kind of the white lie religious leader talk of that time. That if you're wealthy, beautiful, and rich, and happy, God loved you. But if you were broken like this man, God wanted nothing to do with you because it was because of your sin or your parents' sin that you were condemned to the condition of this man. Anyways, so that's what this man would have experienced. Physical, daily pain and spiritual shame. In this place that he's at, 
would have been surrounded by these types of people and there would be this massive stench as you would walk in. Not only a scent, but also a spiritual stench that no one of high regard, no one that had any type of power in that day would step into. And that's the place that you would reroute if one of us were there, we'd kind of sidestep it or we'd keep our head down and we wouldn't look people into the eye. And yet that is exactly where we find Jesus in John chapter 6. The place that most people would never go, Jesus would step into to radically transform a man's life. Look with me to verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? See, one of my favorite parts of this story is at the first reading, you kind of think it's like, okay, this is a story about a man being healed. This is a story about a man being revived from a life of paralysis. But actually, this story has something deeper to show us, not about the man, but actually about the character of Jesus. That this is not just a story of healing, but this is a story of describing God himself and how he interacts with broken people. And if you leave this place and you think anything, if you leave with anything, leave with this. That Jesus loves loving broken people. And he'll be found where many of us won't go. And he'll be found where no one from our culture will go. But he will be found in the deepest and most broken places in the entire world. Because that's what Jesus loves to be. Everything that the religious leaders said about the status of yourself being correlated with the places that you're found. Jesus was the king of the earth. And he went to the darkest places in all of the earth. This is the grace and kindness of our king. I want to point out two things in John, chapters, uh, John 5, 6 that I find really beautiful is, one, Jesus saw the man. He walked by through this place that he knew would be surrounded by hurting people, and he looked directly at this man. And not only did he see the man, but he knew the man. See, it wasn't a glance type of look, but it was actually more of a glare, this type of look where you look deeply into someone's eyes. And here's what John says about this moment with Jesus. is just with one look, he was able to know that the man had been there a long time, that the man had been hurting and in need of help. Okay, so why does it matter that Jesus loves people who are in need of healing, who are broken, it's because I think a lot of us in this room step into this place and we think that God is on this somewhat pedestal, like he's like ethereal and theoretical and kind of hates every move that we're making. Almost as if he's like frustrated and kind of this armchair critic and looking at your life and saying, why can't you just figure it out? And you've actually thought that God is angry with you at times, frustrated by you. But the character of Jesus that we see in this story is that Jesus not only sees every moment of your life, but understands the deepest and darkest wounds that time has not healed. And he takes all of that and he says, I love you anyways. That's actually not because of your good works that Jesus loves you, but it's actually in spite of your bad works that he deeply cares for you. And he sees every moment of every day that you've ever lived and every thought and every heart and tension, and he sees you and he knows you and he loves you anyway. And he was willing to go on the cross for all of that. So this idea that God is some type of ethereal, theoretical God is dismantled in one moment as Jesus looks at this man who's in deep need of healing and he encounters this man. So here's my hope for some of us in this room is that you would believe that Jesus loves loving you. He loves loving broken people 
and he loves loving you, which means he's not disappointed by you coming into Salt Company tonight. He's not frustrated by you, but he does have a deep desire that his healing touch would change you. And then, in verse 6, Jesus asks a peculiar question. Look with me back to the text. And he says the question, do you want to be healed? Okay, now, at first glance, it's a little bit odd, right? I don't recommend questioning Jesus. It doesn't go well for most people. But you have to ask the question, why is Jesus asking this man, do you want to be healed? He had been hurting for 38 years, sitting in his own excrement, unable to find healing for himself through time. So the question is, why did Jesus ask him, do you want to be healed? Because not only did Jesus understand that this man was hurting physically and spiritually, he also understood something about the man that maybe the man didn't even know about himself. He understood that this man had lost all hope of healing. isn't that maybe the scariest place to be? That wound that time has not healed, that wound, the thing that you're processing and you're asking God, like, God, is there, is there any reason for this? What's, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get it together? That wound, the scariest place to be is in your own mind and asking the question for yourself, do you actually want to be healed? Or have you lost all hope of healing? Have you lost all hope of healing? And if you're here and you've been hurting for so long that you have lost all hope of healing, Jesus has something to say to you in verse 7. Look with me there. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once this man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. This is how we know that this man had lost all hope of healing, is in the question that Jesus asked him, a yes or no question, do you want to be healed? He responds by describing why he hasn't been healed and reasons why he can't be healed. And I think this is all of our tendencies to say, yes, I know that Jesus will one day heal me in heaven, but today on this side of heaven, I cannot be healed of the most broken parts of my soul. And I think we all have a tendency to think, to describe reasons for why we're not healed rather than turn to the one who can actually heal us. And I think the prerequisite for healing tonight is the hope that some of you in this room would say, Jesus, I've given up hope of healing, but I do believe that you'll do something in me tonight. See, I think one of the most beautiful things about this text is the man that he was waiting for to pick him up and throw him into the pool didn't come to heal him with his hands, but he came to heal him with his words. Two things I want to hit on this part of the text. One, that your hope of healing is not rooted in your ability to hope. That Jesus didn't look at this man and say, okay, you didn't even answer my yes or no question. You clearly have no hope. Therefore, I'm not going to heal you. But it was actually completely dependent on the person of Jesus, his character, and his words. And the second thing I want to point out is, as peculiar as Jesus' question was, his command was even weirder. Okay, so think back with me to the command in verse 8, where he says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. 
Now, the get up part is cool, right? It's like, okay, easy, I got that. The strut it out, you're like, yeah, okay, I could see how you would like to do that. Walk for the first time in 38 years. But what about pick up your bed? And anytime you read something in the Bible that you're like, I don't really understand this, you should study it because it's actually really, really beautiful. And here's the reality, is that bed had no use to this man. That bed was not a yoga bed or a tempur or whatever. I don't know your preference on beds. But it was not. It wasn't great. It was really, really broken. And not only was it physically disgusting, but it was a symbol of shame for this man, of spiritual shame. So why would Jesus ask this man to pick up his bed? Because it wasn't valuable to him, but it had immense value to others. Sneak peek in like three minutes. Okay, but before we do that, I want to zero in on one thing. That Jesus commands this man to do three things, and he does three things. He says, get up, so he does, pick up your bed, all right, and walk. And so, company, here's what I want us to see as we live our lives this spring. Is what if we actually looked at the words of Jesus in a similar way that this man heard the words of Jesus? That we would actually just do what Jesus calls us to do in his word because we believe that Jesus is our healer and that the best possible life would be following him in his word. And guys, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I tend to gravitate towards the commands of God that I like. And if I was this man, I might be like, hey, you know what, Jesus, I'll do the get up part, I'll do the walk part, but the mat part seems pretty weird, so I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to kind of pick and choose the parts of your word that I want to follow. What if the instruction that Jesus wants to give us is actually maybe not the life that we always want, but the life that we desperately need? And the wounds that are deep within our heart that keep coming up can actually be healed through some of the words of Jesus as he calls you to live a different type of life. See, I think a lot of us love the spectacular moments of healing, like this moment in John chapter 5, but we do not like the call to faithful obedience in Christ. See, here's the question, here's the secret that will propel you into sanctification and holiness for a lifetime. Every word of Jesus matters. Matters for your life and for the people around you, and it matters. And here's what happened when this man, this is so cool, this is, I, I get hyped by this person. Okay, anyways, here's what happened. When this man in obedience picked up his bed, the object of shame became an object of glory. Look with me to verse 12. And they asked him, who is the man that said to you, Pick, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. In his obedience, the object of shame became an object of glory. So I want you to see this. This bed to this man had no worth, right? Gross, physically disgusting, spiritually shameful, but it had incredible worth when he would bring it in front of other people and other people would ask, who is the man? See, actually what ended up happening is that bed wasn't just a place that he laid but became his testimony. And as people looked into his life, following the question, do you want to be healed? They began to ask this man, who did it? Who was the man? See, here's what's true if you're in Christ. When you carry your bed, Dead people listen. And my prayer for all of us 
is that if you have been healed by King Jesus, that you would feel the freedom to carry your bed wherever you go, to your classroom, to your campus, to your job, everywhere you go. And it's going to smell weird and look weird, and people are going to look at you kind of funny. and be like, I don't know why you always talk about that thing. But that you'd be able to show them that Jesus is your healer. And that bed that was once an object of shame became an object of glory, and that man was able to take it to the religious leaders that once would look at Jesus and say, why would you even go into that dirty of a place and be able to share with him the testimony that Jesus healed him? And they begin to ask, who is the man who healed you? I think my question for all of us is, what if Christians begin to care less about their reputation and more about the witness that they have to the people in their life? It is okay to look weird, honestly. Just share your junk. Be like, I don't really know what I'm doing with my life. I'm broken, and I'm in desperate need of healing. But Jesus Christ has healed me in an incredible way, and I have to tell you about him. And if people look at you funny, then let them look at you funny. But believe that the gospel is powerful enough that that moment could change their life. I think my question for all of us is, would our obedience to live out the commands of Jesus and to live a countercultural life on our campuses be the exact thing that the people in your life that do not know Christ desperately need? I think it could be. As we close, and I call it the worship band, let's look to verse 14, because it may be one of the most important verses in the biblical story. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Okay, I want you to think about the pain of this man. This was not like a light physical experience. 38 years of absolute deadly paralysis that would have kept him in his own excrement, and yet Jesus says to him, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Okay, so what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that worse than the pain of any physical, excruciating brokenness that you could ever experience is the pain of living in your own sin. And listen, guys, life has not been easy. And I'll kind of share a little bit of my story as we close, but the worst pain I've ever experienced is seeing sin as my Savior and not Jesus. And putting my hope that sin would somehow fill me up and make me whole again. And that never works. And so what Jesus is saying here is what is actually true. That suffering won't likely kill you, but sin will. That the wages of sin is death. And Jesus knows what we often forget. That pain hurts, but sin kills. Here's the pinnacle of this story as we look at verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. See, this is the reason why the Jews were angry at Jesus, is he didn't just come to be a healer, but he came to be a spiritual redeemer. And unlike any other healer that had come in the past, he didn't use his hands, he used his own words. And that's my hope for some of you in this room tonight is actually that the healing words of Jesus would begin to reconfigure the brokenness of your soul, that the thing that has not been healed over the lifetime of your experience would actually begin to be healed tonight as the words of Jesus flow over your life. That Jesus didn't just come to heal a couple people who are broken, 
but he came to redeem an entire world, and you are part of that mission. And so tonight, my prayer for all of us is that we would seek the healing of Jesus. So I'll come to you in a moment. I'm going to do something uncomfortable for some of us. And I'm going to get on my knees and beg Jesus for healing. For myself. To be honest, guys, I, I've never felt more broken in my entire life, which is not super compelling for you guys. It's just true. The simple reality is I had no idea the depths of brokenness in my own heart, and I need healing. And here's my prayer for some of you in this room. Is that thing that you never thought could ever be healed, the thing that you may have lost all hope of healing, that God would actually raise that up to the top of your soul, and you would feel the healing hand of Jesus on you tonight. That you would leave this place different, not because of the cool venue or the good worship, but because Jesus Christ himself has encountered you. So in a moment, I'm going to get down on my knees, and I'm going to pray that Jesus would heal me and that Jesus would heal you. And every moment that you've ever had a question of if God was real, he would answer that right now. So my prayer for a lot of us is that we would see that the question, do you want to be healed, is maybe one of the most important questions for the rest of our life. And you can either live putting your hope in time to heal you or bow your knee to King Jesus and pray that he would. kickoff tonight healed and made new in your presence. I pray that you would, Jesus, change me, heal me. Father, I pray for Salt Company. I pray that you would heal my friend whose parents and his mom were so hurtful to him, who said things that marked him, that have a deep impact to this day. I pray that you would heal my friend whose father used alcohol to dull the pain of life. I pray that you would heal my friend who was emotionally abused in their relationship in high school. I pray that you would heal my friend who struggled with depression all of her life and might have lost hope of healing. I pray that you would heal my friend who's been hurt by the pain of this world. And Jesus, I pray that you would heal all of us and that there would be someone in this room tonight needed to be healed from death to life to see that you are Lord not someone who's far away and distant and angry at them but someone who is close and near and wants to heal them I pray that Jesus you would bring them from death to life that there would be a new soul in heaven tonight because of your healing touch here that 2,000 years later after you healed the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years that you would heal someone tonight Jesus we believe that you are the great physician, that you're not done yet. 